Good evening, everyone. My name is Betsy, and I will be reading our sermon scripture passage this evening. Um, today we'll be reading from Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. You can also borrow one of the black Bibles from the back of the pew in front of you or um, a blue Bible from the lobby that you can keep. Um, so once again, we're going to be reading first from Exodus 20, verse 15, and then Ephesians 4, chapter 28. So I invite you to stand together as we read. So this is Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Betsy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back with you. And if you are new, uh, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. Uh, Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you're just learning who Jesus is or if you've been in the church for a long time, uh, we're really glad that you're with us this afternoon. And so uh, we are finishing up our series on the Ten Commandments. We just have eight, nine, and ten remaining. And what we've been reiterating about the Ten Commandments is the most important thing about the Ten Commandments is they don't start with a command. God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. And so the order here matters. God didn't first give the Israelites the commandments and say, if you obey these enough, I'll free you. But he frees them from slavery and he says, now that you're free, here's how to live as free people. The, The commandments are the blueprint for living a beautiful life. And so it is for us today. A freedom the gospel, God's commands are never a means of just keeping us down or for us trying to appease an unhappy deity, uh, but they're always to help us experience God and love other people as those who are already known by him. And so, you know, just any time you do any kind of Bible study or go through a sermon series, it's always helpful to ask, what's the one thing I'm going to remember 10 years from now? Because you'll probably only remember one thing, you know, if that. And so for this series, it's simply... The title that you see on the slide there is Freedom the Gospel Set Free. God's commands are always meant to help us experience God and love other people. And so we're going to see that again today with the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. And as we've seen with the other commandments, uh, when they're put in the negative, it's not just about the negative, but the negative paves the way to bring positive goodness to other people. So we saw Thou shalt not murder paves the way for us to be a life giver to other people. And I I heard, uh, the other day I heard somebody say, you know, the Ten Commandments aren't that hard. Like, all you have to do to keep them is just stay in bed all day and avoid contact with other people. And that makes sense at first glance, right? So you think about, you know, thou shalt not make a graven image. It's like, I'm not making any graven images. I'm in bed. You know, keep the Sabbath, I'm doing a great job keeping the Sabbath. I'm already in bed, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. I'm in bed. I'm not doing those things. But to say that or to think that way, it's to miss the point of the commandments because the negatives are just there to, to pave the way for us to get out of bed and bring goodness to other people, okay? And so we're going to see that again with thou shalt not steal. So uh, we'll look at it. <laughs> My child is crawling down the aisle. Uh, we'll look at it under uh, these three headings. So first we'll ask, what's included in the Eighth Commandment? Second, we'll ask, uh, why do we break this commandment? Like, what's, what's at the heart of why we break this so often? Even though many of you right now may be thinking, I don't steal anything. And then uh, number three, what are some ways we can apply it? 
Okay, so first, what's included in the Eighth Commandment? Number two, why do we tend to break the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. And number three, what are some ways, uh, very simple, accessible ways we can apply this? Okay, so first, uh, number one, what's included in the Eighth Commandment? So at its most basic level, to steal means to gain at the unwilling expense of someone else. Right, so not too long ago, one of our members lent me a portable battery charger for my car. Oh, those things are witchcraft, by the way. And so it was an expense to her, but it was a willing expense, right? So I didn't steal from her. Stealing, on the other hand, it, it's you're gaining at the unwilling expense of someone else. It, pretty basic. Uh, however, as we're seeing, the commandments aren't that simple. And so the Eighth Commandment isn't just calling us to not be a thief, but what it's calling us to do is to a much more expansive way of living, and you could summarize it this way, to use our resources to further the welfare of other people. Okay, to use our resources to further the welfare of other people. And one reason we know this is because right after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 through 23, you can read tons of laws that pertain to property rights. And a lot of the laws have to do with using your property for other people. So you see things like, Every seventh year, don't take any grain from your fields so that the poor around you can have more food to eat. And so what you see here that God's laying out for Israel is it's not a communist system. I mean, when he he says thou shalt not steal, it's assumed that people have private property that can be stolen from. Okay, but on the other hand, it's not a full-blown capitalist economy in the the American dream sense because what God calls us to do is, is actually that Our private property isn't there to be used for however we want, but we have a duty. Uh, We have an obligation to use our property and our resources to help other people. Uh, God knows that as the Israelites are moving from a slave people to a free people, just like us, the more prosperous we become, we tend to want to use our resources for ourselves. So he's laying out a just society here in the commandments. And this is a principle that you see not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. So you see in Matthew 25, for example, Jesus will say, when I gather everybody together, when I come to return to judge, one of the ways you'll be able to distinguish between my people and others are my people will be those who gave in sacrificial material ways to other people. And so this is why we read from Ephesians 4, um, because it's the corollary to the Eighth Commandment. So let's look at that again. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. This, this astounded me when I first really understood what this is saying. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, why? Why should somebody do honest work with their own hands? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So in other words, you should work, and if you make money from your work, you, you get your money, but it's, why? Not so that she can go on better vacations and buy, ni- buy nicer clothes, not so that he can eat at nicer restaurants and upgrade his home, but so that you can give to other people or live to give is an easy way to remember that. And this is challenging because often we tend to think about giving, whether it's with our money, our attention, kind of like how a lot of people tend to view their like a leisure thing or philanthropy, i.e., Okay, I'll just see how much I have left over at the end of the month, and if I have something left over, it appeases my sensibilities, I'll give something. Uh, but the Lord is saying, actually, no, your work itself, but also any earnings from your work, are to be used first to share with others, and then, and then yes, of course, to care for yourself as well. 
And so that's what's included here in this eighth commandment is we should use our resources to give. These commandments are they're pesky, aren't they? Like they, they poke at us. Okay, so now let's look at why do we tend to break this commandment all the time? Okay, not like why do we tend to live more with closed fists rather than open hands? And uh, here, Jen Wilkins, she wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. She was very helpful on this. And so she points out that Usually we're prone to steal when we believe, A, uh, the act will be victimless, and B, there's a low relational component. And then so she gives two examples. She says, so first, generally people will tend to justify stealing from their office, right, because their corporation is just this faceless entity that doesn't have feelings. So you'll take home office supplies, or maybe you'll take some extra liberties on an expense report, or you spend a fair amount of time on social media when your company is paying you to work during those hours. Just don't really think about it. You just do it. But odds are much lower that you would, you know, your employer or your boss leaves their wallet on their desk and you take their personal debit card right out from their wallet, right? Why? Because when you can see much more clearly, okay, there's a clear victim and there's a higher relational component. Or another example, there are a lot of people, hopefully none in here, who steal from hotel rooms, right? So, towels, robes, sheets, apparently. They would take the lamps, too, if they weren't bolted down. And the the reason people do it is because, oh, well, hotels are these giant, faceless organizations. They don't have feelings, and they're too greedy anyway. So what's what's the harm? They're overcharging me. What's the harm if I take a towel? But notice if you stay at a friend's house or one of your parents' house. I mean, you're not going to steal the towel. You're probably going to fold it up and hang it over the shower nicely. You'll ask, where would you like me to put the sheets? You know, leave them on the bed, take them off the bed, put them in the washing machine. Why? Because you're, no, you're known by and you know the owner, right? So you can see a clear victim. There's a high relational component. And then here's what Wilkins says, and th- this is really helpful. She says, Christians really need to pay attention to this because if we have a hard time attributing property rights to an office or a hotel, how much more are we going to have a hard time attributing property, property rights to a God that we can't see? Right, and so because the reality is we're all known by and we know the Lord if you're here and you know Jesus. And we're all guests here in his creation. And so that everything that we have, everything, our money, our home, you know, everything we have is simply on loan to us by the Lord to be stewarded for him. And so when we, when we view our lives and our resources as it, this isn't about, it's not everything we've earned, right, and therefore we can do whatever we please with it, but we're guessing God's creation, everything we have is on loan to be used for others, that, that changes a lot. And so as an example, some of you have heard this story, but when I was, when I, after I graduated from college, I lived with my parents for about a year, because that's what millennials do, we live with our parents for as long as possible, and never leave the home, and so I'm living there, I'm working in the sports performance industry, and I had this container of really expensive protein powder. And one morning, I come down the stairs, and to my horror, I find my father with his grubby hands on my protein jar. And he's just, you know, smiling from ear to ear. He's a morning person, you know, throwing the, the protein, you know who you are. He's throw, throwing the protein into the cup. And I go, Dad, what are you doing? And he goes, what do you mean? What am I doing? I was like, you're using my protein powder. And he goes, yeah, this protein's really tasty. I'm like, yeah, it's tasty. It's really expensive. And I go, dad, like I paid a lot of money for that protein powder. And he just puts the jar down and he looks at me and he goes, 
do you really want to do this right now? <laughs> like, and he's an accountant. He goes, we can draw a ledger with A, B column, and I'm happy to add up how much money of yours have I taken from you and how much money of mine have you used? And I mean, need, need we start with mortgage and water bills and food and sports? I was like, okay, okay, okay. I was like, take all the protein you want. I suddenly became the most generous son in the world because I had to remember that so much of what I had and so much of what had been given to me was a result of my father. And how much more so with God? Right? I mean, we, we sung earlier, right? With every breath that I'm able, I'll sing of your goodness. God's given you every breath in your lungs. Any intellectual capacity you have, the ability to think, has been given to you by God. Any time a human being has come alongside you to help you in some way, God was behind that. And so what this commandment simply is calling us to, you could call it the joy of stewardship, Right, to rec- Because what happened with me, I mean, I went from irritated and fearful when I saw my dad using, to laughing and generosity in a matter of seconds as soon as I remembered how much my dad had given to me. Right, and so it is with this commandment. When we remember that we're just stewards and everything we have has already been given to us by God on loan for others, it, 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 not, only, um, it not only helps us obey, but it makes us want to. We become a lot happier as we do it. Okay, so, so that's why we tend to uh, break the commandment often, right? Because we, we feel like it's just this victimless, faceless crime. We forget that we're stewards of God's creation. And so finally, number three, what are some ways that we can apply this? Because as with a lot of these commandments, this is such a sweeping command. Okay, use your resources for other people. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, let's just look at some accessible ways uh, that we can do this. And so first, let's start with restraint. Okay, so step one is we think about being stewards and living to give, we restrain. I, I think this needs to be the first step because often we don't have resources to give to other people because first we're spending on ourselves. And so two big examples of this would be first time. So think about places that you spend your time that then hinder you from being able to give attention or energy to other people. And for me, one example is I love video games. Love video games. I know for some of you, like, any respect you had just went down to the digital. Others of you like, oh, cool, you like video games. But I love video games, always have. I uh, played competitively in college because I'm super cool. And even Kelsey loves video games. And so I'm fortunate to have a spouse who will say, if you want to wind down this thing by playing a video game, like, go for it. It's great. But here's what I realized especially now with young kids, okay, when I should only be playing video games after they go to bed. Once they get older, then I'm glad to be a dad and play video games with them. But as, as things stand now, right, I would need to play at night, and video games take a lot of time. And I would be up late, and so either the next day I'm sleeping in later, or I'm waking up early and I'm tired. And so it's going to hinder me from generally just being more patient and wanting to give to other people. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, he shares that he, he loves sports, like, he loves watching sports, but he's cut back on 90, 95% of his sports watching because he realized that when he's spending so much time watching sports, it hinders him from being able to love others well and taking initiative to be physically present with other people. And so for you, you just consider where might you need to possibly restrain on some activities that may not be sinful, right, but they're preventing you from being able to give your presence to other people. You know, maybe it's your work. 
Or maybe you procrastinate your work. So then when it comes to the weekday evening or the weekend, you're having to catch up because you're doing something else during the work week instead of working. So now you can't give to people. Because the, so the first is time. We need to rest, like practice measured restraint on some of our leisure activities. But number two is, is money. Right? And so as believers, there should be a principled restraint when it comes to our finances. And so just because you may be able to buy the best of something, right, whether clothes, vacation, restaurant, whatever, doesn't necessarily mean you should. Okay, now is buying a nice set of clothes, taking a nice vacation bad? No, but because our default is to be way more generous on ourselves than on other people, okay, we should be, we should, as believers, we should be very thoughtful. And okay, just because I can purchase this, should I purchase this so that I can give to others? Okay, so that's the first one, just a very principled restraint on our time and money that will help free us to live to give. That's the first thing. Uh, second is now that we've restrained some things, now we move to distribution, and we can, uh, we can distribute. And so here's how Jen Wilkin puts this. It's, it's very helpful. So she points out that generally speaking, people tend to live as a taker or as a giver in life. And a key difference between the two, or those who practice the Eighth Commandment and violate the Eighth Commandment is another way you can put that. And the, the key difference between the two is a taker views themselves as a terminus, i.e. resources come to you and that's where they stop, right? So use your attention, your money on yourself. Maybe if you have anything left over, that's great. But if you're a terminus, not only can you not give, but you're often going to be stressed because you're trying to hang on to things that were never really yours to begin with. You're going to be irritated by things like the Eighth Commandment. So that, that's a taker. Or you can be a giver. And what a giver does is you view yourself as a, not a terminus, but a distribution center. Okay, so resources come to you from God, and then you're just a stopping point to then distribute your funds, your attention, your energy to other people. So I just thought that was very, like, even my own intera- interpersonal interactions, just helped help for me to think, okay, am I, am I being a, a terminus, a taker right now, or a, a, a giver in a distribution point? And so what are some very practical ways that we can practice being uh, distribution centers, if you will, when it comes to our resources? And so the first, the first one, you know, that immediately stands out, of course, is finances. And so I just want to encourage those of you who are tithing and giving to Jesus' kingdom and being generous, like, you should be encouraged because this is a way that you're already responding to the grace of Jesus. And for those of you who are tending to still holding on in the realm of finances, this is a loving challenge to you to, to be a giver in the kingdom of Jesus. So the, the first area is finances. Um, we can also spend money, right, on our savings account. Okay, so consider that as someone's like, well, I don't spend much money. I'm frugal. Okay, yeah, but you're spending on your savings account. Okay, so how, how can you be a giver in the realm of money? Uh, number two, talents. Okay, so God has wired each of you in very unique ways. Some of you are really gifted with administration, right? Others with organization, others with hospitality. Some of you are very creative and are great with design, right? So are you using your ability to create and art and design things for the kingdom of Jesus? Uh, an example from my own life, uh, five, six years ago or so, uh, Kelsey and I went, we got put in contact with a financial advisor. 
And so he, you know, he walked through our finances with us and really did a great job just getting a handle on our money and helping us to steward them well. And so, you know, during our first conversation, I just asked him, all right, you know, so what's, what's the damage? What do, you, what do we owe you? And he says, oh, you don't owe me anything. I was like, excuse me? Because he, he charges a lot, you know, for, for what he does. And he says, no, when I started out in this field, I decided one of the ways that I wanted to use the gifts God's given me in the realm of money is for pastors and church leaders to give them financial uh, consult for free, just as a way to bless them. And I was like, that's amazing. You know, thank you so much. And so for each of you in here, God has wired you uniquely. And, you know, what are some, so just how can you be proactive in thinking? And a lot of you guys already do this. Um, there's a lot of examples I want to give right now, but I haven't asked for permission yet. But a lot of you guys already do this, but let's just keep thinking, okay, how can we use our talents uh, for the kingdom of Jesus? And number three, uh, something to think about is, how are you a giver when it comes to your home? And I read an article recently in The Atlantic, and it was talking about how there's a strong correlation between isolation and the tendency to believe in conspiracy theories and just generally become more anxious and paranoid. So not, not surprising, right? Heavy isolation, higher likely to believe in conspiracy theories, become more anxious and paranoid. And the article was saying that, you know, the reason why we're seeing just so much craziness in our nation is because of how isolated people have become, but yet they're on their screens all the time. And he said what is needed is people who are actually inviting folks into their home for physical presence so they can enjoy relationship. And as believers, we've been handed a a rich heritage of millennia of a basic practice called hospitality. And so for you, as you think about using your home, you know, do you use your home to invite others into it just for the, the simple pleasures and joys of food on a table and human bonding? And a lot of you guys already do this. Uh, a lot of unmarried folks in our church do this so well. I'm so encouraged. And I, I think this idea of using our home maybe is of particular relevance for married people uh, because there can be a strong temptation for a married couple that once you get married, your relationship and then therefore your home becomes a cocoon, you know, just to isolate yourself from the outside world. And you draw a bright dividing line between the home life and the biological family and then the outside world and the church family. And where Jesus would say the line's actually much more permeable and more porous than that, okay, between biological family and, uh, and your church family. And so as a, whether you're, you know, so whether you're single, whether you're about to be married and you're thinking about how are we going to use our home, whether you're already married, married with kids, just a wonderful way to bless other people, whether they're Christians or not, is to, to open your home up regularly for people. And uh, not too long ago, I read... Uh, someone I know, she posted this online because she, she had a really l- rough family life. And <clears throat> here's what she said as she was talking about people inviting her into her home. Uh, she wrote, As a child of parental loss, I used to resent intact families, right? It's like happy mom, dad together, kids at the table. I used to resent intact families. I'm glad, though, for the men and women who opened their families to me so that I could be healed. If I'd had my way, they'd have kept to themselves and I'd have stayed stuck in my pain. That's the power of using your home as a distribution center, right, rather than a terminus. You never know what someone's going through 
okay, when you invite them over. You don't have to be Martha Stewart. Just just roof over your head and just hang out with them. Okay, so restrain, uh, then we can distribute. And then number three, receive. Receive. Um, So it's amazing how the older I get, the more I realize that no matter how hard you work, your life is always a product of other people giving to you and the things that you've received. And two examples in my own life, and these aren't even the most extreme, but two examples that came to mind as I was thinking about this are uh, first when I was in university, I went through a long period of deep depression, and a former pastor of mine, he found out, okay, one of my family members told him, and this guy, so he led the largest youth group in Northern Virginia, and he worked as an undercover narcotics officer in D.C., so two busy, demanding jobs. And he texted me, and he said, hey, this upcoming Wednesday, I've got an hour free from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. I heard what's going on. Let me pick you up. So he drove to where I was. He, like, left the city, drove to pick me up, and he took me to Wendy's. And we parked in a parking lot. This was back when I still thought Wendy's was tasty. Um, And we just sat in the parking lot, and he gave me a burger, and he let me share my sorrows And he told me that God hadn't just saved me, but that he liked me. And that simple act lifted my spirits enough. You know, that that was the time where like, okay, can I just make it another week, another week? That simple but expensive act on his part lifted my spirits enough to make it another month. I I don't think he has any idea what that did. Uh, and another example is, a lot of you know the story of um, a community group that came alongside me and Kelsey, you know, we were in financial straits over a decade ago or so, but also um, when Kelsey and I were at our former church, Portico, there was a surgery that she needed, and we were in a horrible financial situation, and the insurance company wasn't going to pay for the bill, but because so many people at Portico Church had given their money to the church, the church was able to pay the surgeon's bill for us. It wasn't a small bill. And so when you hear about these stories, right, of people giving, living to give so that others can have life, how can that not remind you of who? Jesus. And what I love about how Ephesians is laid out, so in Ephesians 4, right, he gives this, like, challenging exhortation, right, work, not so that you can keep for yourself, but so that you can give. But in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's, I don't know that there's one command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's just all about the riches of Jesus, the inheritance of Jesus, and then how Jesus, in his grace to you, made himself poor while he was rich, so that through his poverty, you, you could become rich. And what we need to see in the gospel is we need to go back to receiving, not, not just looking at who's given to us, but looking at how much Jesus has given to us, because Jesus didn't wait for you to become a giver, to give up his life for you, right? No, he came after you while you were still a taker and then went to the cross and rose again from the dead in order to transform you into a giver. It's what he loves to do. In fact, in his final breaths, his final moments of agony on the cross, one of his final phrases was forgiving a thief, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. And so it is for you.
And so let's use the resources he's so generously given to give to others. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your commandments. And um, just what an amazing opportunity that we've been given to uh, live not for ourselves, but for a person and a cause that transcends the self. And so help us to experience you and experience the goodness of Christ in new ways so that we can uh, walk away from any of the areas we're tending to hold on to ourselves and give to others as, as, you, so, as you so first radically gave to us. And it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.